0: let's see is this thing on great all right uh that's probably that last verse is one of the funniest in the bible to me just that no but you did just that that little little comment by the lord it was very truthful very kind and yet (laughs) kind of cutting um well good morning uh, for those of you who don't know me, I think everybody does, but my name is Chase Woodhouse. I'm a pastoral resident here at Sojourn Galleria. It's good to be with you as we continue on in our series, looking at the life of Abraham uh, uh, found in Genesis. And we're going through Genesis 12 through, I think it's 26 or 22, I can't remember which. Um, so it's exciting to be continuing on in this journey. And um, I, I love this text, uh, this this story. Uh, it's one of deep encouragement. But, but one of the main points of this uh, story, obviously, of this narrative, is that there's a meal. There's a meal involved. Now, when we think about meals, here at Sojourn, we believe that a shared meal is, is important. We do that every week at our parish. We believe that a shared meal around the table communicates friendship, intimacy, relationship, family. Um, but back in the 1950s, our culture radically changed. In the ancient Near East, uh, meals had a lot of meaning, a lot of significance, and we'll talk about that in a second, but in the 1950s in the United States, um, meals around the dinner table changed because of two things. Um, One, the television was introduced, and by the end of the 1950s, I believe it was 1957 and 1958, 80% of homes in the United States had a television. And then the second thing that happened in the 1950s was the creation of what would be called the TV dinners. And that's a story where the, the Swanson Company had 520,000 pounds of leftover turkey, and it was literally on a train, a refrigerated tra- train, and the, the owner was just sending it back and forth because he didn't know what to do with it. And, and if, they, if he stopped the train, the refrigeration would stop and created did uh, uh, what we now call TV dinners. And with these two combi- uh, com- uh, combined, uh, the meal became less and less important. A-, a shared meal as a family became less and less important because you could just turn on the TV for endless entertainment, and you could pop the TV dinners into the oven or the microwave in order – well, microwaves probably went around back then – but into the oven, get them ready, and then you could sit around together at a meal to share uh, – excuse me, at the TV to share – our culture has really lost the significance of a shared meal. But in the ancient Near East, and still actually in the Middle East today, a shared, a shared meal means friendship. We went to, Rachel and I went to the Middle East in 2017. We, were, we went to Jordan, and uh, we met with Syrian refugees. And in, in Jordan, if you were a Syrian refugee, this was at the time of ISIS, and so these people were fleeing um, Syria. And in Jordan at that time, if you're a Syrian nef- refugee, you never got the opportunity to legally work. There was no pathway for you to get a, a green card or whatever it is they would call it. You couldn't work. And so we would go, now people did work, but it was illegal. And they would, we would go into homes to visit, and these Syrian families would have a massive spread on the floor for us. Just a massive spread. And the reason why was in that culture, for us to come in, if, if they didn't have, the floor filled with food, it would have been telling us, we don't want to be your friends. We don't want to be close to you. We don't want to have a relationship with you. Here in the ancient Near East, God has come down, and he's come down to share a meal with Abraham. And Abraham issues the invitation to God. I mean, just think about that for a second. We'll get there in a little bit and really sit on that. But he issues an invitation to God to come and share a meal with him and God comes. So this meal is one that is filled with uh, with meaning, but the other thing about this meal is that I don't believe it's primarily for Abraham. In fact, I believe this meal is primarily for Sarah. I think what we're going to see in this text is where Sarah was spiritually, and how the Lord was going to respond to her at this meal of Friendship and invitation, but also, um, and I'm kind of jumping ahead a little bit, but this wasn't the only reason the Lord was coming down to share a meal with Abraham and Sarah. The Lord was coming down to bring judgment upon Sodom and Gomorrah. This was the first stop as he then would continue on and bring judgment upon Sodom and Gomorrah. So this is this is a meal of friendship that would eventually, uh, would take, um, the next step would be judgment. And so let's dive in. Let's, let's see what the Lord has for us this morning and how he might encourage us from this story. So um, the first verse is really awesome. And here's why I like this verse. Um, number one, Abraham was sitting, resting at the entrance of his tent during the heat of the day. It's a siesta. Okay, so in this time, you would wake up in the morning, you would work until it got too hot, and then you would come and sit at the tent and rest for a while, and then go back out once it started to cool down. It was what we call a siesta today. And my first point is that business owners, please bring back siestas. I would love nothing more than a nice afternoon nap, especially as a a dad of three young children. Let's bring it back, okay? Um, That's not from the Lord, that's from me, but I would love love to have that, but the, the Lord comes to Abraham while, while he's relaxed, and he appears suddenly. Just, it's not like the Lord and, and the two angels are, are coming, and he sees them in the distance. There, there's an appearance out of nowhere. The Lord just comes. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and saw them. And when he saw them, he ran to meet them and bowed himself to the earth. And he said, O oh Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Okay, so Abraham sees that these guys have appeared, and he runs after them and begins to invite them in. The question is, does Abraham know that this is the Lord? And actually, scholars, are um, they, they don't know for certain. There's, many, there's two opinions. One is not yet. And the reason why is in Hebrews 13, when it says that when we are hospitable, sometimes we entertain angels unaware, that's likely pointing to this text. So there's a good reason to think maybe Abraham didn't know that this was the Lord. Now, two things about this appearance of these three people I forgot to mention. Number one, this is not the Trinity. It's very clear that these, this is the Lord and two angels. Early church fathers thought that this was an appearance of the, the triune God, but it's not, and you see it later in the story. But second, people might look at what Abraham did and how he responded with the washing of the feet. and the, you know, He's like basically like, hey, let me make you a snack. Come chill out for a little bit. I'll make you a little snack. And then, and then he literally goes and creates an, a massive feast. I mean, he kills a whole cow or calf and prepares it. So this is a, a massive feast that he has created. And people would say, oh, well, that must mean that he knows that this is the Lord. No, this is simple Middle Eastern, ancient Near East culture. When someone comes, you create a feast. And you, you often say, oh, just, you know, come in. Let, let me get you a little something. And then you lavish them. So this is a cultural moment, but the question is, is this God or not? I fall into the camp where I believe, excuse me, it is God. Does Abraham know that this is God? I fall into the camp that, yes, Abraham does know that this is the Lord. And the reason I I believe that is in the Hebrew. In verse 3, he says, O Lord. Now, the word O Lord is Adonai, which is a name for God, but it it can also just mean a a nice uh, title for someone, my Lord. But the, but the uh, word is singular. There's three men standing there, and he says, Adonai, my Lord. So he's talking to one amidst the three. And the way the word is spelled is spelled the same way in Genesis 20. And in Genesis 20, Abimelech has a dream. And in this dream, the Lord comes and speaks to him. And he speaks to the Lord and says, my Lord, is Adonai, in the way that it's spelled here. So I fall into the camp that Abraham does know that this is the Lord. It doesn't really matter, but I wanted to just share that people don't know for certain when he knows that it is the Lord. I believe he knows on, on first sight. So the Lord comes to him. Abraham runs out, and he begins to make a massive feast. I mean, I tried to look up exactly how much. I mean, he had like one siya of flour was seven quarts. So he's making, asking Sarah to make a ton of food. They literally kill a calf and prepare the entire thing they take the the yogurt and the milk and they he just lavishes this uh, feast out for the lord and what's shocking is that the lord sits down and eats this is god literally and physically eating food this only happens in the new testament this is the only time in the old testament where god comes down and physically eats food with someone why did God do this? It's an invitation of friendship. It really, is a, it's an acceptance of friendship. Because Abraham has invited him in, and the Lord says yes. And, and really, if you've heard this story growing up, if you've been in church, you've heard this story. It's, it's one that you hear a lot, and the shock of that can wear off. This is not normal for the rest of the world and other religions. It is not normal. For God to come down and to eat a meal with someone. And yet here, he does. It's shocking. It's like this. um, So my kids um, love to cook meals. But they do it with their toy kitchen. Right? And it's in our little playroom. And and they'll invite me in to come sit down and to eat a meal. And the meals are wonderful, (laughs) fake, and often very strange. You can have like a tomato cheese, celery, apple soup. I mean, it's just like, it's just a litany of things, right? But they love to create a meal and to invite me in. Why do they do that? They're wanting that relationship with me. And. It's not real food. I know it's not real food, but the reason I come and the reason I sit down to have a meal with them is because I desire to have a relationship with them. I want to love them. I want to lavish praise upon them when they make me this random concoction of food or when Malachi just throws food at me because he's still learning how to bring something. Right? I want to have a relationship with my children, which is why I sit down. The stunning reality about this text is that God has come down and wants to have a relationship with Abraham, but lest we forget, Abraham is not a perfect man. He's not a patriarch where we look at him and say, this is what it looks like to perfectly follow the Lord. I kind of call Abraham the wayward patriarch. This guy receives a promise from the Lord over and over and over, and he consistently disobeys he consistently falls he consistently stumbles he's very faithful don't get me wrong but he's imperfect and this imperfect man has the lord come down and the lord wants to have a relationship with him and the lord comes to the table and he sits down and he eats this meal before he goes on to then execute judgment in the land the wayward patriarch, the one who deserves judgment, is instead being invited into a table of fellowship, a table of friendship. And so the question is: Well, what is? How does this? How does this apply to us? While wow, that moved, how does this encourage us? What are we to to see in this? As I was reading this story, I was struck by that this whole this first portion right here is a foreshadowing. And it's a great foreshadowing. It's a foreshadowing of the great and terrible day of the Lord, the day of judgment, the day where the Lord comes down. Because here's what's going to happen. Jesus is going to bodily come back down to earth, and it's gonna be, he's going to appear out of nowhere. We're not going to see him coming, but he's going to come down, and he's going to appear. And what he's going to do first is he is going to bring those who are in Christ, the dead and the alive, and he's going to take them to a table. But this isn't a table where Abraham is preparing a meal. This isn't, this isn't a table where we have prepared something, but he is going to take us to a table. And that table is the wedding feast of the Lamb. This isn't just an invitation of friendship. This is a consummation of marriage. We will be lifted up to be with the Lord. And at this wedding feast of the Lamb, we will be married to him forevermore. There's not going to be a time where the Lord then leaves. Abraham says, then you may pass on. The Lord's not going to invite us to this wedding feast of the Lamb and say, and then you may pass on. No, this is where the Lord is going to bring us up to him. And we will be with him forevermore at his wedding feast. And then judgment. And then judgment judgment day we will see God righteously and perfectly pour out judgment upon those who have not believed in him not believed in his path of salvation and here's what's going to happen to us we are going to see that we are being invited into this meal that we never deserved we are the wayward patriarch we will know that this judgment that God is pouring out is one that we deserve but we will see that the one who's pouring out this judgment is the one with the nail-pierced hands and, the, and the, um, the scars from the crown of thorns. And we will see that though he is pouring out judgment, we deserve it. He has taken our judgment. He has taken our punishment. And all we have now is the invitation, not only of friendship, but of marriage. And we will be with him forevermore. So how does this encourage us this morning, church? I know that there are people in this room who are exhausted, and I've been one of them. I know that some of us in here are going through very difficult times right now. I know that some of us want that day to come today, probably all of us, but we must press on. We press on. We continue following Jesus. We run after him. We declare the good news that he has invited all to this wedding feast, that none have to have the judgment of God upon them. They can receive this forgiveness. We press on declaring that good news. We press on encouraging one another to continue on in the faith. And we hold fast to the truth of God because this day is coming for us. We are not people without hope. We should be the most joyous people in every single room we walk in. Or when we are exhausted, when we are not joyous, when we are beaten down by life, we should be the ones that have a sure hope and say, you know what? But God, I am exhausted. I am tired. I am worn out. I am a sinner. But God, and he is going to bring me home. This, this little feast, I mean, guys, think about this. Abraham's cooking a cow. Texas barbecue has not been invented yet. And the Lord knows that Texas barbecue has not been invented yet, and he still eats this meal. God has come down to meet with Abraham and to extend this offer of intimacy, even though he is the wayward patriarch. And this is good news for those of us who are in Christ, because there is a day coming where that invitation Will not just be an invitation but the wedding will actually happen so we hold on we press on but again i don't believe that the lord has come down primarily to encourage abraham i don't think he's only come down to meet with abraham i think he's come down to minister to sarah and here's why in all of these years 25 years since, I believe it is, since Abraham received the first call from God and the promise, Sarah has never had an interaction with the Lord. She consistently has likely heard from Abraham the promise of God and has walked in faith. And here, the Lord asked him, asked him Abraham, where is Sarah, your wife? <clears throat> and he said, <clears throat> excuse me, she is in the tent. And the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old and advanced in years, and the way of the women, women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? Now, I want to point out three different, things, three different possibilities of what Sarah, or a combination of what Sarah could be feeling when she says this to the Lord. And the first is this, after I am worn out, that phrase, worn out, has a real negative connotation. It is, she is basically saying, not just, not just like, I'm, I'm, I'm no longer having the way of women. That's not only what she's saying. She's saying, because of this, I am worthless. I am worthy to be thrown out into the trash. That's the connotation in this word here. I'm not worthy of anything. And so maybe she's feeling like I'm utterly and totally worthless. But also she goes on to say, um, shall I have pleasure? Now that pleasure, when I first read that, I thought it was the pleasure of holding a child. But no, this is the pleasure of, of Abraham and Sarah knowing one another. And she's saying this doesn't happen anymore. They don't know each other in that way anymore. And so she's saying this is totally impossible. I'm worthless and worn out. But then she also laughs. And it's almost a scoffing laugh. (laughs) It's just utterly ridiculous. There's no way this is possible. There's a scoffing attitude that she has, potentially. And I also think that she's likely heard these promises of God. The reason why I say that, some people say, well, maybe Abraham hasn't Told Sarah any of this, which I find hard to believe, but I think the evidence that she has actually heard is that her name is changed, and she responds to her name change. Abraham likely told her, and you know, because this was in the last chapter. This was recently. Hey, the Lord has come down. He's promised us another child, and he's he's changed our names. I mean, the father of many nations and the mother, and I think that's what it is. Father and mother. It has it has a meaning. Forgive me, I forgot. And and Sarah takes on this name, so she's likely heard. This message but she doesn't believe she doesn't believe she has not accepted this for herself and when she laughs and she says these things it's mental she's not saying it out loud it was in her mind and and she's literally right behind the lord so she's hiding in the tent the lord is likely seated at the table right in front of the tent she's right there she hears everything he says and the Lord said, why does Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? What grace. Because here's the thing. When, when the Lord says this to Abraham, he could have said every single thing she said and kind of shamed her. could have literally repeated everything that she said to Abraham and shamed her, but he doesn't. But he also doesn't let it go. He calls her out. He reveals where she is. He reveals that he knows where she is. And then this next phrase, which is one of the most beautiful phrases in all of Scripture, and, and Tim Keller argues that it's probably interpreted incorrectly, or it's not incorrect, but there's a better interpretation, and I would probably agree with him. In verse 14, it says, Is anything too hard for the Lord? Another equal translation Is not is anything too hard for the Lord, but rather is anything too wonderful for the Lord. Is anything too marvelous for the Lord? What is God doing when he hears where Sarah's heart is, whether she's scoffing, whether she feels totally worthless, or whether she's just been along for the ride and not chosen to believe in the promises of God? How does God respond? Sarah. I know where you are, but is anything too wonderful for God? Why does Jesus tell us that we must have a childlike faith to come to Him? Because children are filled with wonder. They hear a promise and they believe it, and they can imagine this amazing thing to be true. Kids, we're going to Disney World next year. They're bought in, a hundred percent, and they begin to. Uh, th- 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 Filled with wonder and they fully buy in. That's the childlike faith that God wants from us. He wants us to believe that nothing is too wonderful for the Lord. Now, I'm not saying that that means you, all your wildest dreams will come true. What I am saying is that everything that is good for you, God will give to you. Every good and perfect gift comes from Him. It's an invitation to believe that God really is wonderful. And he's calling her out. He's not letting her hide. He's not letting her stew with these feelings, these mixed feelings of, I don't believe this. I can't hold on to this. He's inviting her in and saying, is there anything too wonderful for the Lord? And I think that there are people in here that can relate to Sarah. Maybe you feel worn out, worthless. Something to be cast aside because you see your life, you see your sin, you see all the ways that you have failed, all the ways that you stumble, all the ways that you can't follow the Lord like he calls you to, and you feel utterly worthless, able to be tossed aside. There's an invitation for you this morning say, is there anything too wonderful for the Lord that you might be invited in? or maybe you're a scoffer. Maybe deep inside your heart when you hear a promise of God, you don't choose to believe it. You're like, no, that's that can't be true. There's no way that this is possible. There's no way that God could really be this good. And the invitation to you this morning is is there anything too wonderful for God that he might actually be true? His promises true? Or maybe and I think this might be uh, the first one and the second one, I think, are probably more likely to be people in this room. Maybe you've just heard all the promises of God, and you've been coming to church your whole life. You've heard all of these things, but you've never actually believed. You've never actually come to the Lord and said, yeah, I, I, I believe, for various reasons. It's too many to name. And the invitation to you is, is there anything too wonderful to, for the Lord? that you might be invited in. So the question for us is, where is this invitation? Where is our table of friendship where God invites us in to truly believe? Is there anything too wonderful for the Lord? Where is our moment where God comes to meet with us and tell us, that nothing is too wonderful for him. That even though you might be worn out with sin and feel like you're utterly worthless, you may be brought in. And, and maybe you're a scoffer and saying, you know what, I don't believe this. But God is saying, you know what, this is really true. Everything good is true. Come to me. Or, or maybe you've been hiding. Where is our table? Right there. At the Lord's Supper, not that literal one. But at the Lord's Supper, we see a meal an invitation of friendship, but this isn't an invitation to what has been happening, but rather this is an invitation to something new, something that God is going to do, something marvelous, something wonderful done by the wonderful counselor. And that table, the invitation of friendship today for you and for me is an invitation of a relationship that is bought By the blood and body of Jesus. At that table, Jesus breaks the bread and said, This is my body broken for you. Take and eat. Those of you who feel worn out, those of you who know your sin, those of you whose sin stares at you in the mirror, the body of Jesus has been broken for you that he might welcome you in. For those of you that are, are scoffers, that just can't believe that this is true. The true, literal, physical crucifixion of Jesus is the invitation to you this morning saying it really is real. And then the resurrection. Is there anything too wonderful for God that that Jesus who rose from the dead was the firstborn of the new creation? He has the newly recreated body that we will all have one day. Is there anything too wonderful for the Lord? This is an invitation, a friendship, of relationship, and the reason why it is all possible is because at this table, Jesus gave us an invitation and said, I'm going to break my body for you. I am going to willingly go to the cross. I'm going to take your sin upon myself, and the wrath that you deserve will be poured out upon me, and then three days later, I'm going to rise, and my kingdom will be established, and it is going to spread across the globe. It's not going to stop. You, again, I've said this. I said this before. We're worshiping in Houston, Texas. Evidence that the kingdom of God is truly expanding, that His reign is eternal and going on and on. Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? And that one day, that table will pale in comparison the wedding feast that we are being invited to so this morning if you're like Sarah if you find yourself beating yourself up if you find yourself exhausted if you find yourself filled with disbelief if you find yourself scoffing if you find yourself just kind of coasting the invitation is to come and taste and see that the Lord is good and the only reason you have that invitation is because Jesus came, died, and rose from the dead. This meal which precedes judgment was an invitation to Sarah to come. And you know what? She believed. Hebrews 11:11, 11, 11, which we read this morning, by faith Sarah was able to conceive. She believed. She received the promises of God which had found their yes and amen in Christ. And because of his promise and because she received, working hand in hand, she was able to conceive. You have an invitation this morning to come to see that the Lord is good. Will you accept? Will you be filled with the faith of a child to believe? that God really is good, that he really does love you, that he really is preparing a wedding feast for you. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and thank you so much for the opportunity to, to gather here today. To hear of this meal that you shared with Sarah and Abraham. And, Father, thank you that this meal was not only for Sarah and Abraham, but it is but a foreshadow of the meal that you've invited us to. Thank you, Father, for coming and meeting us in our sin, for seeing where we are and offering to cleanse us. Thank you, Jesus, for coming to die and rise from the dead. Father, I pray for each one of us in here. Lord, I pray that you would encourage us. Lord, for those that don't know you, Father, I pray that they would come and receive this invitation. And Lord, for those who do, Father, I pray that you would encourage us, equip us, help us to keep pressing on until you bring us home. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, this morning, we're going to move my paper is gone. I'm going to have to do communion without the paper.